Welcome to Furry Explained. I'm Finn, a big black cat from the internet, and Furry Explained is my show about furries and their culture. You know, some of the most common questions I get from listeners of this show, especially ones that are new to this fandom, happen to be on the topic of their fursonas. And I think I know why. I give fursonas such significance for their role in the furry fandom that I think most people who are just starting out want to make sure they get it right. And I love answering those questions because every question about every fursona is different, and I really get to see just a little sliver of the breadth of the creativity that's on display here in this fandom. But one thing that I have noticed, even when just looking around at the fandom in general, is that there does seem to be a lack of diversity when it comes to the species that most people make for their fursonas. And I'm not really saying that's a bad thing. In fact, we've highlighted some of the reasons why fursona species are so popular, and no one should be ashamed to feel like the animal that best represents them in the fandom is some sort of canine. However, the animal kingdom that we all celebrate in this fandom is so vast in variety that it sometimes feels like this fandom artificially limits itself on what's acceptable as a species for a fursona, when in reality, there really are none. So that's what we're going to explain today. In this episode, we're going to take a look at some animal species that are uncommonly used as fursonas. We'll go over a little bit about these animals themselves, as well as provide an overview on why they might make for a great sona, especially highlighting things that might go overlooked at first glance. And of course, we won't cover all the animals that you don't see as fursonas in this fandom, as that feat would be next to impossible. But there are some that, while uncommon, still make for great options to use as your anthro-animal representation in this fandom. So let's get into it. Welcome to Furry Explain, and we'll get started right here. We've mentioned this before on this show, but there are some cases in this fandom where calling it the, quote, furry fandom is just a tad misleading. Sure, it's a much better name than something like the anthropomorphic animal fandom, but sometimes the word furry carries a lot more weight than it needs to. When it comes to this fandom, and especially the fursona side of things, there really aren't any rules when it comes to the design of how you want to be represented in this fandom. There are no restrictions or even guidelines or suggestions on what animals, real or fictional, are acceptable for use as fursonas in this fandom. Now, if you're like me, this can actually make things a bit tricky, as that literally endless range of possibilities might lead to decision fatigue, where it can be mentally tiring trying to choose what to use for your sona because there are literally no boundaries to your choice. This is part of the reason why many people in this fandom choose animals that they're relatively familiar with, as it implicitly narrows that range a little bit, allowing for an easier decision to be made. This is a big reason why there are so many foxes and wolves and even dragons in this fandom. Those are animals that many of us are not only familiar with, but can relate to some of the traits these animals have as well. But that doesn't mean you have to restrict yourself to just animals that most of us are familiar with. Not everyone in this fandom has a traditional animal for a fursona, 
Heck, some of them don't even have fur to begin with. And the cool thing is that those fursonas are just as valuable to their owners and everyone else in this fandom, since they all serve the same purpose. In fact, these sonas might be regaled even more than others, since their rarity is refreshing, especially in such a creative fandom as this one. So, if there's any hesitation to stray away from the norm when it comes to fursona animal species, that should be the least of your concerns. In reality, you only really have things to gain when choosing an uncommon species for your fursona, as they are just as valid as everyone else's in this fandom. So, with that out of the way, let's take a look at some lesser-seen animal species in this fandom that would make for a great fursona. Now, to keep things as organized as possible, instead of listing individual species of animals, we're going to look more at categories that encompass groups of similar types of animals. And the first category that we'll take a look at are insects, or straight-up bugs. These include animals like bees, moths, roaches, and even spiders, and I know they're technically arachnids, but we're going to be overly inclusive here for the sake of brevity. Now, in this case, there are some pretty good reasons why you might not see a lot of these. The fact of the matter is that not many people are fond of these types of animals. This makes them harder to relate to, and therefore more difficult to come up with a good fursona of one, at, at least initially. But even though they are rare, examples of insect fursonas are out there, and I'm sure many of those who have been around in the fandom for a decent amount of time have seen some before. And one thing that most of these sonas do is make these rather unsung animals look really cute. Some of the cutest fursona designs you'll see are insects, with moths and bees sort of leading the charge of making insects look cute. And that challenge of turning an animal that many of us dislike into something cute is one that many in this fandom enjoy partaking in. Plus, I haven't seen a fursuit of an insect that I haven't thoroughly enjoyed, and all in all, they make a great choice as a species for a fursona. Continuing the trend of groups of animals that are fundamentally different from us as mammals are aquatic animals. Animals like sharks, orcas, dolphins, and other fish encompass this category, a category that we have briefly taken a look at previously when discussing the Manokit original species. But to reiterate those findings, the biggest disconnect that many of us have with aquatic animals as fursonas is that they don't have legs of any kind. And that's important because having legs is the crux of the traditional view of anthropomorphism in this fandom, as standing on two of them is the most prominent human trait that most sonas feature. But the flip side of that argument against them goes back to the idea that we opened the episode with. There are no rules when it comes to making a fursona work for you. So what a lot of people with aquatic animal sonas do is depict them with legs and feet. And it works surprisingly well, as you'll see many shark sonas or dolphin sonas out there drawn standing on two legs, but keeping things like fins and the distinctive faces those animals have in their design. They've also started to garner their own little intra-fandom within the furry fandom, much like scalies and avians. 
So going with one of these as your fursona will not only put you in good company, but it's actually not that weird to see a fish with legs in this fandom. Artists really have a way of making it work well. Moving right along, the third batch of fursona species you don't see all that much of in this fandom are mythical animals. Now, here's another case where we've touched on these fictional animals before, mainly focusing on the idea that these fursonas are one of the fastest growing groups of animals gaining in popularity. Though I will say that those numbers are slightly skewed because of the biggest outlier that defies the rarity of animals in this group, the dragon. It's pretty safe to say that dragon fursonas are not rare in this fandom. In fact, they are usually well positioned in the top five of fursona species popularity, so you will see them a lot. But the rest of the animals that are considered mythical in this context tend to go by the wayside, including animals like griffins, unicorns, minotaurs, and more. Now, one interesting theory as to why animals like these aren't commonly seen as fursonas is that they are almost implicitly covered by the idea of hybrid fursonas. I mean, take a look at the lists I just rattled off. Griffins are a hybrid of a lion and an eagle, unicorns just add a horn to a horse, and minotaurs are half person, half bovine, which is funny because with that one, it's like you started the process of anthropomorphizing and stopped literally halfway through. But I digress, a lot of mythical creatures tend to be related to existing hybrids, but lose a little bit of the lore and wonder of these animals. Sure, the dragon amasses the popularity of this group by far, but there's still a lot of untapped potential in these animals for fursonas. Now, we were going to continue with a few more categories of animals that aren't popular for use for fursonas and why they are still good candidates to do so. But when combing through the rest of that list a little deeper, things start to get rather recursive. For example, we were going to talk about ungulates being great candidates, you know, those animals with hooves like horses, zebras, giraffes, donkeys, and the like. But we would have found ourselves finding exceptions to that rule as well, as animals like deer and moose are actually pretty common in this fandom. Another group we could have discussed were rodents, as mice and rats can make really cute and fun fursonas. But again, we would have rehashed the idea that these animals aren't that popular because, unfortunately, they're not liked all that much by a significant portion of the population, or at least enough to not have them serve as candidates for representation in the furry fandom all that much. I even was going to make things a little personal and talk about otters, my personal favorite uncommon fursona, and a species of animal that I think can simply do no wrong. But the fact of the matter is that there are good reasons for every animal that exists to be used as a fursona. And the best reasons have nothing to do with what I think of them, or why their facts and figures make sense for use in the furry fandom at a macro scale. Fursonas, by design, are very personal, and anyone's personal reason for choosing one animal or two over another as their fursona is completely valid. Fursonas can't really be measured on a scale like that, where because one species is more popular than the rest, it somehow makes a rarer animal less of a quote popular fursona. 
And that was essentially the main goal of this episode, to show that there are so many choices to use as a Sona, and all of them are equally valid. And now that I think about it, it doesn't really stop there. The possibility for a Sona species compound with itself with things like hybrids and even how specific of a species that you want to be. For example, from what I've gathered, I'm the only panther that a lot of my friends in this fandom know, but that's because I've drilled down the animal of my Sona quite a bit more than usual. And I'm sure that exclusivity starts to decrease as you expand the pool to jaguars and big cats in general, both of which I also fall into. But the idea still stands, even doing something like that serves as a simple way to make a species of a fursona just a little bit more rare than others. And of course, this is not to discount those whose fursonas are a part of a more common animal species, but if you're on the fence about choosing a lesser seen species in the fandom as your fursona, again, don't be. You'll be just as valid as the rest of them, and in a space like the Animal Kingdom where the possibilities are quite endless, why not try to mix things up a little bit in this fandom? Alright, that concludes this episode of Furry Explained. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. It was a rather quick one today, one that I admittedly cut short myself, but still, I really hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned something new today. As always, if you want to continue the conversation about uncommon fursona species, or have any other feedback or suggestions for topics for the show, you can find and follow me on Twitter. I'm at FinnThePanther, and a link to my Twitter is down in the show notes along with some other resources that you should definitely check out. As always, if you do like the show and want to support it, the best way to do that is to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, be sure to give the show a rating and a review as well. You can also just tell people about the show, and if they don't know where to start looking, you can point them to pod.link slash furry explained to find the show on their platform of choice thank you so much for doing so and we'll be back next week for another episode of furry explained but until then stay wild out there peace